you're listening to Birds, Bees, and Teas, a sexuality education and storytelling podcast hosted by yours truly, Miss Nia Angie Africana Sutton. Hey teasers, welcome back to another episode of Birds, Bees, and Teas, and thank you all for joining me on live, on Instagram live, to honor, commemorate, celebrate, and observe World AIDS Day 2020. Um, this is such an important day um, because this gives us an opportunity to honor survivors, um, to remember and honor um, people who we've lost to this epidemic. Um, it gives us the opportunity to talk about HIV stigma and prevention and what we need to do to um, keep this work moving forward. And it gives us the opportunity to raise awareness. Um, you know, I never, as a sex educator, I never assume that um, you know, everybody is on the same page um, and that we are all talking about the same things and that we all have the same understanding. And that's something that's really important that we do. Um, it's important that we meet people where, where they are um, and so that we can really move forward and get this work done. So thank y'all so much for joining me on this. And um, the live will be interactive. So if y'all have thoughts, feelings, questions, comments, reactions, anything that you would like to say, um, definitely please drop it in the chat box um, or in the comment section and I will share it um, with the um, audience and make sure that your point is um, noted on the episode. So yes, today, December 1st is World AIDS Day. Um, this um, day is celebrated every year on December 1st and it was first um, celebrated in 1988. Um, when the HIV epidemic first hit the scene um, and was really drastic and there was very little awareness, there was very um, little resources, there were very little resources, there um, was not a lot of care going on and just a lack of information and knowledge. Um, and so that is why this day um, came, how this day came about. And the theme for 2020 is ending the HIV AIDS epidemic resilience and impact. Um, and so we're gonna talk about that today and what that means and what that looks like for us, um, people you know, living in the community, because this is um, you know, something that was put together by the Department of Health and Human Services, uh, which is responsible for the public health of all Americans. Um, but what does it mean you know, to us, the everyday person, um, people who are just living their lives, um, many of the listeners are millennials, um, you know, so we grew up learning about HIV and like, what does that mean to us now? Um, so we'll talk about all of those things today. Um, so I like this theme, resilience and impact. Um, I like what they're saying there and I love that they're keeping the focus on ending the HIV epidemic. Um, I think that using the word resilience is so important, especially in 20. 20, um, where we are fighting COVID-19, um, you know, we're in the midst of an economic crisis. Um, we just, we're still kind of going through a crazy election process because y'all president won't let it go, you know? So, um, being resilient is going to, uh, play a large role in ending, working toward ending the HIV epi um, epidemic as we close this year and also moving forward in the future. Um, so it's really 
important that we talk about like what that's going to look like for us. Um, so today I participated in um, a webinar, I guess you would say, um, about World AIDS Day, and it was um, led by Harold Phillips, who works at um, the Department of Health and Human Services. Um, it was also, um, there were also other panelists on there, um, a black woman who is an HIV survivor. Um, there was a, a young black male who was on as well um, and who was an advocate for PrEP. And we'll talk about that as well. And then there was also representation from uh, the leader of the HIV division at the Centers for Disease Control. And so um, I appreciated the very diverse um, panel, like the ver very diverse panel and the group of people um, that they had, and especially that they had black people and um, black people um, with other intersecting marginalized identities to be a part of that conversation. That was really helpful. And I learned a lot from them um, as well. So um, I'll talk about some things that I learned from that um, conversation and um, what happened with that as well. So on this uh, episode, I want to um, really highlight a few things. Um, I want to talk about HIV generally and provide some education because that's what this is about. That's what this podcast is about. Um, and then I also want to have some conversations around reducing stigma and raising awareness and then also supporting our HIV positive loved ones, okay? So the first thing I'll talk about is HIV. I don't assume that everyone knows um, all the information or all there is to know about HIV. And something else that's really important is that um, the information that you know we learned from the 80s to present has changed so much. Um, the HIV virus and how we care for people um, impacted by HIV and everything um, has changed so much and it continues to change. Um, and so I'm sure that some of the information that I present to you all will be new today um, because this is it's changing so much. So it's really important that we keep ourselves aware of this um, and understand that it really is something that impacts all of us. Um, and we'll talk about that as well. I don't wanna to get too much into it. So um, HIV is human immunodeficiency virus. It is the virus that causes AIDS, uh, acquired immune deficiency syndrome. So HIV and AIDS are not the same thing. Um, and I won't get too technical about the differences of the two, um, but that's the most important thing that you would need to know about that. Um, HIV is most commonly spread through unprotected sex through um, intravenous drug use by like sharing needles. Um, and then it can also be passed from mother to baby, either through the birth canal or um, through breastfeeding. However, technology is awesome where um, the, the innovations um, that have been introduced since HIV, you know, really came on the scene. Um, there's been so much, so much um, medical innovation that has allowed mothers and pregnant people to deliver healthy babies safely um, without passing HIV to them. So that is something that is really important um, for us to note as well. Um, HIV can only be passed through 
five bodily fluids, um, <clears throat> and those include blood, semen, pre-ejaculatory fluids or pre-cum, um, vaginal fluids, and then anal secretions or anal mucus. Um, so many of us received horrible sex egg growing up, um, whether it was, you know, in school or whether it was, you know, from a family member who also received horrible sex ed. And we learned a lot of things that were, are just simply not true about HIV. And so I wanted to clarify those things um, for all the listeners and for everyone. And just to give a refresher, because many of us know this information already. Um, what else do I want to say about HIV? Um, HIV can be prevented. The uh, the transmission of HIV can be prevented in so many ways, um, which is why it's important that we have this conversation um, so that we can reduce the stigma around it and then also like talk about these prevention methods. Um, most commonly, not participating in unprotected sex. So this means using internal or external condoms or barrier methods like dental dams when participating in vaginal, anal, or oral sex or any type of sex where those bodily fluids that I named would be, um, where a person would come in contact with those bodily fluids. Um, not sharing needles or syringes, of course, um, is a way to prevent the spread of HIV. And um, while we think that this is something that may be like far off, uh, we're actually seeing intravenous drug use really resurface um, in young people. And when I say young people, I'm including myself in that. So, um, you know, people who listen to this podcast and the younger generations for sure, um, intravenous drug use is resurging. So it's really important that we bring this back on the table and talk about it. Um, so, yes, those are two very common ways that we know to uh, prevent the spread of HIV. But there are some new methods as well that you all may not know of. Um, one that is really important and that you may have seen commercials for on TV is PrEP or pre-exposure prophylaxis. This is a medication that prevents the spread of HIV um, in HIV negative folks. So um, essentially how it works is that a person takes a pill a day and this reduces their risk uh, for contracting HIV through sex. Um, and so this is a really important um, campaign that's happening right now and something that we all should be aware of, considering the fact that all sexually active people, especially sexually active people of color, are at increased risk for HIV. So I encourage you all to do your own research on PrEP um, talk to your healthcare providers about it. Um, and it may be something that you even introduce to your healthcare provider because, you know, we hold in America, we hold doctors on this grand pedestal, but really they don't always know all the information. Um, and a lot of times, you know, they're waiting on information or um, guides to be passed to them from the CDC or from other, you know, large um, organizations. Um, but really us opening up the conversation will really push them forward to take better care of us. So talk about PrEP with your doctors. Um, some things that were discussed on the webinar that I participated in today, um, you know, they talked about, well, PrEP only being targeted 
for people who are who identify as LGBTQ plus. Um, and while that community, and we'll talk about this as well, why that community or those communities are at increased risk, um, PrEP is for everyone. Um, and so I encourage you all to definitely learn more information about that um, because this is we haven't seen this before until more recently um, where a person could take one pill a day like a vitamin and um, dr drastically decrease their risk for contracting um, HIV. So PrEP does work. And so you all can, um, the, camp, the national campaign that's happening is called Ready, Set, PrEP. Um, and you can find more information about this at getyourprep.com, getyourprep.com, okay? Um, so yes, and then um, another prevention method that I want to talk about um, and introduce to many people is the U equals U campaign, or U equals U. The letter U equals the letter U. And this means undetectable, equals untransmittable. So let me explain this and break it down to you all. When a person is um, diagnosed with HIV, um, they are then offered or enrolled in a perfect world into some type of care, into, um, into care that will allow them to receive medicines, um, have frequent doctor's visits, um, and things like that to manage and control their HIV um, and this and in many ways um, once a person is diagnosed with HIV the management of it is very similar to a chronic disease um, and nearly 50% of Americans are presently living with chronic diseases where 25% of Americans are living with at least two so managing is a big part of the HIV diagnosis the management plan so if a person is managing their HIV, um, they are, you know, being treated through the medications, they are maintaining a healthy lifestyle um, by, you know, what they eat and managing their stress, all the things that are relevant to all of us, um, then their viral load or the amount of HIV that is in their bodies can be suppressed so low that it is undetectable by an HIV test. So I'll say it again, undetectable is when a person who was diagnosed with HIV um, has been on their medicines, doing their treatments and taking um, care of themselves and having frequent doctor's visits um, and to get, their, get control of their HIV status, to um, suppress their viral load or the amount of HIV that is in their bodies so low that it is undetectable by an HIV test or undetectable in their bodies. So the newest prevention method um, is undetectable equals untransmittable, meaning that if a person is undetectable, their HIV status is undetectable because it's under control and they've been treated or they are being treated, that it is impossible for them to transmit HIV to another person. This is groundbreaking, y'all, which is why I keep repeating the same things over because I want everybody to hear it. If a person has control of their viral load or they um, are experiencing viral suppression, they are, un they are incapable of passing HIV to another person. This is so important, so, so, so important. Um, this does a lot for um, 
this basically means that when people receive HIV treatment, that it stops transmission. So this is why we have to get rid of the stigma, y'all, because a person could be living with HIV and, you know, we've been taught our entire lives, HIV is a death sentence. HIV is so bad. It's so terrible. Your life is over. Um, you know, that can force a person out of treatment. There are several other factors that force people out of treatment as well, and we'll talk about those. Um, but when people are getting treated, it stops the transmission of HIV. And that is our goal. That is how we end the HIV epidemic, by stopping transmission. Um, and this also, this campaign, the U equals U campaign, also brings people back into care. People who, you know, have kind of given up or people who thought, you know, well, you know, there's no hope for me anyway. There's nothing that I can do for um, to, to get better or anything like that. Um, so that brings them back into care um, to really allow them to live their lives healthily, happily and normally. Um, and really, you know, give them the care that they deserve and that they need. Um, the HIV survivor who was on the webinar that I mentioned earlier um, talked about like what this does, what U equals U does for internal stigma, um, for people who are living with HIV and have internalized the stigma that we have learned all, you know, our entire lives. Um, and so, you know, this gives them a second chance at love. This gives them, a, you know, the opportunity to have sex and engage in sex safely and enjoy it. Um, and gives them the opportunity to have children. Um, you know, the, the spokesperson, um, she was awesome, and she shared that, um, you know, being able to make love to your partner and produce a child from that, um, and everyone remains healthy and safe, um, how rewarding that is. And so that was just a beautiful, that was beautiful to hear um, and just beautiful to be a part of. So I encourage you all to do more research. You all may have already seen it or heard about it, depending on where you live um, and what you do professionally as well. Um, but the U equals U campaign, undetectable equals untransmittable. Really important stuff. Um, and I may come back to that a little bit later. I'm following all my notes. So this is what a live episode looks like. It looks like notes and my microphone, my laptop. I have like several tabs pulled up. So I might come back to that later. Um, but if y'all have questions, comments, thoughts, feelings, um, any reactions to that, please drop them in the comments um, because I really want to know what you all think about it, especially if this is your first time hearing about U equals U um, and what that is like for people who are working in sex education um, you know, how are you doing the U equals U work that needs to happen? All right, so we talked about HIV and we talked about prevention. Um, and so let's talk a little bit about what, um, like why I say that this is an issue that we all should be focused on and why it's something that we should all care about. Pull my notes up here. <clears throat> so on the um, HIV.gov website, I encourage you all to check that out. Um, they have information about World AIDS Day um, specifically, and then also um, like up-to-date statistics and facts, um, quick facts that you can catch up on for about HIV. 
one thing that um, is mentioned on there is their plan to end the HIV epidemic by 2030. So what that means, it doesn't mean that there will be no HIV globally by 2030. Um, that means that the rate of transmission will decrease dramatically um, and that the number of new cases um, that come up every year or that are diagnosed every year will decrease drastically as well. So that's what we mean by ending the epidemic. <clears throat> and this plan is also um, listed on the uh, HIV.gov website, the full plan. So how they plan to do this, um, they have like a four-prong uh, plan. They plan to diagnose more people, to treat more people, and we talk about how important treatment is because treatment um, prevents transmission. They plan to prevent um, by continuing the efforts that have already um, been put out, but also um, with things like PrEP, the um, PrEP information, um, and uh, ramping up some of the efforts that have been put into place before. Um, and prevention also looks like needle exchange programs. Um, it looks like just giving funding to um, underprivileged communities, things like that, and then um, responding. So diagnose, treat, prevent, and respond to any new HIV outbreaks in communities. Um, and we see that a lot in rural communities um, today and then in um, very urban communities where there are high populations of Black and Latinx people and um, especially Black and Latinx LGBTQ plus people. So um, they say that on the, on the HIV.gov website, um, they say that there's a real risk for HIV resurgence. Um, due to several factors, including um, a resurgence in injection drug use, which I mentioned already, HIV-related stigma, which we've already talked about and we'll talk about more, homophobia, lack of access to HIV prevention, testing and treatment, and lack of awareness that HIV remains a significant public health threat. Um, and I like that last point that they brought up because it allows me to tie in race and racism. If y'all know me personally, y'all know that I'm kind of like a race warrior. Um, you know, I really um, understand, well, I, I really um, center the plight of black people in a lot of my work and I've oftentimes feel the weight of my ancestors. And so I can see it in everything that we do. And HIV is a race issue, absolutely. So this last statement says that there's a lack of awareness that HIV remains a significant public health threat. Um, and this is because the public health community has done such an outstanding job with addressing HIV, um, you know, with the number of cases that we have each year and things like that. However, while um, HIV rates have declined for the population as a whole in the U.S. Rates in African and African American communities continue to rise. I'm gonna say it one more time so y'all can see how crazy this is. As a population as a whole, HIV rates are declining. We're doing better 
when you look at just that alone. But when you get into the subcategories of race, gender identity, and sexual orientation, you will see that there are certain communities that are still experiencing HIV at increasing rates. And that includes Black and Latinx communities. That includes um, Black women, Black cisgender women, and then also um, Black people who are LGBTQ+. So this is what it looks like on a large scale. <clears throat> White women experience their lifetime risk for HIV. So over the course of their entire life, one in 880 uh, white women will contract HIV. That means if you get 1,000 white women in a room, there is likely that only one, one and a half, one and three fourths um, of the women present will be an HIV survivor or will ever contract HIV. In white men, it's one in 132. In white men who have sex with other men or MSM, um, it's one in 11. So we see the disparity there happening greatest amongst um, LGBTQ plus individuals, or as the CDC says, men who have sex with men. Now, I want to address this really quick because men who have sex with men is not a sexual orientation or any type of sexual identity. Um, it's a term that the CDC uses to encompass uh, everyone who they say or everyone who self-identifies as a man who participates in sexual activity with other men. Okay. Um, there's a comment in the chat that says um, PG County has the highest incidence rate in the state of Maryland. So PG County is a very black county in um, the state of Maryland. I believe it is the blackest county in the state of Maryland. And it also has the highest incident rate of um, HIV. Thank you so much for sharing that, Jalen. Um, and so y'all see the correlation there. In black communities, HIV incidence is greater. So I'm going to keep reading the stats for y'all. In Hispanic or Latinx people, um, the lifetime risk for HIV among cisgender Hispanic or Latinx women is 1 in 227. In Latinx men, it's 1 in 48. In Latinx men who have sex with men, it's one in four. So 25% of Latinx LGBTQ plus men identified folks, um, and then also MSM because of uh, transphobia and um, just how things are reported. Um, that also includes trans people, oftentimes trans women. So 25% of LGBTQ plus Latinx people will contract HIV in their lifetime. Do y'all understand how crazy that is? One in four. All right, and then now let's talk about Black people. Black women, Black cisgender women, the lifetime risk for us is one in 48. If 100 women gather in a room, 
at least two women will be living with HIV. These are um, women who, you know, could be in monogamous relationships, women who, you know, have the same uh, lifestyle as white women. White women is one in 880. Black women, it's one in 48. I need y'all to understand how deep that is. That is crazy. In black men, <clears throat> um, this is cisgender men, heterosexual men. The lifetime risk for HIV is one in 20. One in 20 black men, one in 20 straight black men will come in contact, will contract HIV in their lifetimes. And this last statistic, it literally broke my heart when I first learned this. I, um, I was at the North Carolina Sex Conference or NC Sex Con, um, and I had to step out of the room when I learned this information because I carried the weight of black people and this just broke my heart. Black men who have sex with men, there is a one in two chance that they will contract HIV. One in every two black LGBTQ plus men will contract HIV in their lifetimes. That is crazy as hell, y'all. That is insane. That is sick. It's painful. It hurts. It really hurts to know that, that that is happening to people who we admire and who we love and that we're so connected to. And also, this is men who have sex with men. This is this category. And so we don't always know who that is, right? We don't know what people are doing behind closed doors. But one in two black men are likely to contract HIV in their lifetime. So when I say that HIV is a race issue, this is what I'm talking about. One in 50 black women, one in 20 black men, one in two gay black men, one in four gay Latinx people. So you all can see how um, you know, the stigma and the homophobia, the things that were mentioned earlier, play a role in this. It's crazy. It's literally crazy. Um, I see some comments in the chat box and I want to respond to this. I see a lot of wows. Yes, that was my response as well. Like, it's crazy. These numbers are insane. Absolutely. <clears throat> Okay, a uh, good question in the chat box. What advice would I give to a public health professional who is not necessarily working in HIV AIDS and helping address these issues, particularly around stigma? Thank you so much for that question. That is an awesome question. Um, and I wanna put a pin in that so because we're probably gonna come back to that later. Um, not probably, we're absolutely gonna come back to that later um, because we need to talk about like how interconnected um, HIV is with so many other public health issues. Um, and on that note, I'll kind of swing into COVID-19. Um, 
because that's something that's so relevant and impactful and something that's happening like right now to us. Um, so I want to, you know, give everybody a moment to kind of like sit on that information and then also like take a break if you need to, um, because that is heavy. That's really heavy. I know that that was really heavy for me um, when I first learned that information. And, you know, like as a black person, we deal with so many other issues. We deal with so much other shit. And to, you know, know that this like um, epidemic is continuing to impact our people exclusively because of race and racism. Um, it's, it's, it's really hard. It's really hard. It's really hard to deal with there. Um, I also want to, I got a little hot y'all. So I'm fanning myself off with my fan from the Gansey. I'll take this moment to support and promote a black business. If y'all don't follow the Gansey on Instagram, make sure that you definitely do this. This is an online magazine, online fashion magazine um, that is spearheaded by my dear friend, Melquan Gansey. Um, and he really ties fashion to um, a lot of social issues that we face as black people. So make sure y'all check out the Gansey. And this particular picture, um, there was an article associated with it that I wrote. So y'all make sure y'all check that out on the Gansey's website. Okay. All right. So let's keep going and let's talk about COVID-19 and HIV. Um, I want to get into this because um, there are public health people who are on, who don't necessarily work in sexual health, um, but work with other issues. Um, and we need to understand like how COVID-19 is impacting HIV um, especially and how these two are related and how they're not. And I'll start there um, because since COVID-19 has started, you know, the jokes have been flying. We've been using social media as a tool um, to really get through COVID-19 and the jokes have been flying. Um, and I've actually seen a lot of um, jokes that compare HIV to COVID-19 um, or just making light of, you know, these situations. And um, personally, for me, HIV jokes will never be funny. They're just not funny because y'all just heard those statistics. This is not a joke. Like, this is not something that we can be playing with when we're talking about 1 in 20, you know, black men being diagnosed with HIV over their lifetime. It's just not funny to me. Um, <clears throat> so, yes. So, COVID-19 Comparing it to HIV, y'all, is really insensitive um, and it's uh, just not factual. So that's it's important that we don't do that. And that's one way that we can fight against stigma, you know, by not comparing um, this epidemic to this global pandemic that ha that is out of control, that hit us out of nowhere, that no one has an, any idea how really to respond to um, that our government officials are refusing to respond to, um, it's just really not comparable. Okay, so let me say that. Um, but something that was said on the webinar that I attended today uh, with the leaders from DHHS and the CDC, <clears throat> they said that this, this was something that the um, leader of the HIV division at the CDC said verbatim. 
The same inequities and disparities that lead to COVID-19 are also the same inequities that lead to HIV infection. The same inequities and disparities that lead to COVID-19 are also the same inequities that lead to HIV infection. So what are these in what are these inequities? What are these disparities that we're talking about? We're talking about people who live in poverty. People who live in poverty are more likely to contract HIV and also to contract COVID-19. Black people. Race is really a predetermined, uh, it's, a, it's a determinant for our health outcomes, especially COVID-19 and HIV. Um, people who face discrimination based on their identities. These are the inequities that we're talking about. So as a black woman, the um, inequities that I face are those of black people and then also those of being a woman. So those identities intersect for me to face all types of discrimination. This is called intersectionality and this um, term was coined by Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw. Um, if y'all should definitely, uh, she did a TED talk on it. Um, y'all should definitely um, check that out um, because it's amazing. And it helps, it helped me to understand um, the unique struggles that I face and then also helped me to understand the unique struggles of other people. So I named, you know, like what I face as a black woman and then I can add other um, aspects of my identity in there as well. Like I'm a dark skinned black woman. So colorism comes into play. You know, I have lots. So texturism comes into play. Um, you know, I'm from Southeast DC, you know, I'm a little ghetto. So that comes into play as well when we're talking about um, discrimination and things like that. Um, but I want y'all to think about and imagine like a black trans woman, like the unique barriers that they face in the healthcare system or the disparities that they have that increase their risk for COVID-19 or um, HIV. You know, this person is trans. So we know how disgustingly we treat trans people as a society. Um, you know, this person is black and they are women. So it's like all of those things adding on. Then, you know, you add on a person with disabilities to that. That's like four intersecting identities, a black trans person that is disabled. You know, you're adding all of these factors on that further push them away from care because there are people who are straight up just ignorant, including healthcare providers. You know, they're like a trans person will come into a clinic for service and the front desk person just acts like they don't know how to communicate with this other human being because they are trans. I don't know about y'all, but I'm going to leave. You're not going to treat me anyway. You're not going to talk to me anyway. I'm going to leave. Obviously, this is not the place where I need to receive care. So if a person is experiencing that at three different health sites, where are they ever going to get testing? Talking COVID-19 or HIV. Where are they ever going to go to really seek care if this is how people are going to treat them everywhere that they go? It's really important stuff to think about and really um, important that we 
just take time to empathize and so that we can better understand our own risk and how this continues in our communities. Um, so I was really happy that, you know, that the person, the leader said that. Um, the, the leader of the HIV unit at the CDC also said that, um, you know, he talked about how distrust in um, African-American communities, communities of color, and in the LGBTQ plus communities, um, it's not just historic. It's not just the Tuskegee experiment that happened. It's not just, oh, you know, that how they used to discriminate against gay people in the 80s. This is right now. People are still facing, um, you know, this type of discrimination that causes distrust. It's ongoing. Um, yes, and so this comment that was just dropped in the chat, a lot of black men hate going to the doctors just to get a wellness check. Absolutely, that is a very real thing um, that black men experience, that black people experience. Um, and men in general, you know, they're, women were more likely to receive care from doctors and oftentimes we have more things to receive care for. Um, but it is huge, that's like a huge issue. Like black men just going to the doctor. Um, and it's not, it, it's not just the Tuskegee experiment, as I just said, like that plays a large role. Like you can walk up to like five bl black men right now and four of them are gonna say that. But it's also the way that black men are going to be treated once they enter into a healthcare facility. You know, like the way that they are going to be judged, the way that they are going to um, be cared for, you know, um, in the medical community, you know, there are physicians, licensed physicians who are under the impression that black people experience pain differently, um, that our immune systems work differently. And this dates back to slavery, um, you know, that these that these things that impact other people impact us differently. And so we get different treatment. And I don't see where the disconnect is because the numbers say that we are impacted actually more than, you know, some other communities, but we are still being treated as if we are just some superhuman that can't experience health issues or that the health experience that we do experience are due to our own fault, not because of poverty, not because of socioeconomic status, not because of poor education and educational systems in our communities. Like we can really like pile the list on y'all and really paint the picture for how all of these factors play a role in what, uh, in the HIV epidemic. Um, and so what I'll say to people who are working in public health or social services or any type of human service work, um, really check that, um, check those issues in the work that you're doing. You know, like check, if you work in the educational system, you know, education is absolutely linked to HIV. So think about like, how the education that you're providing to your students and the educational system that you work in, um, you know, are students really connected with that? You know, are we really providing the education and the services that we need for students 
to reduce their risk, just their at life, their at life risk of what's happening. Um, that's just one way to do it. Um, the an, another issue um, of, of how HIV um, is going to be impacted by COVID nineteen is that that distrust that we've already experienced has been heightened, um, and there's increased skepticism. Um, of the medical community right now. Um, and that is largely in part due to, you know, our politicians and everything that we've experienced. Um, you know, we've heard that COVID was a hoax. We've heard that wearing masks are dangerous or a violation of our civil rights. We've heard all types of messages um, that are being internalized um, and that will cause us to distrust the, commu the community even further. So while we're trying to, you know, roll out PrEP and we're trying to roll out the U equals U campaign while also trying to roll out a COVID-19 vaccine that many people don't trust, um, it's just pushing that distrust of the scientific and medical communities further. However, we know that large scale programming and policies are the most effective. So this is another reason why I say um, not to compare COVID-19 to HIV um, is because there have been large scale things that have happened um, to work towards HIV. And those are the things that uh, HIV prevention and those are the things that work the best. We don't have a national plan to address COVID-19 right now. So that's why this is happening. Yeah, you know, there's individual responsibilities, wash your hands, wear a mask, all of that. But that is placing the responsibility on an individual person, whereas if the government was to put funding and effort behind addressing the issue in a comprehensive way, that we would see drastic changes. And then also, you know, addressing those disparities that we talked about, those inequities, like that has to happen. We can't continue to not name race as an issue, like, we, you know, this is people like, oh, it's 2020. Yes, it's 2020. That's the time. Like, this is the time to like call things out and name things as they are. Okay. Uh, another way that COVID-19 is impacting HIV right now is um, that COVID is closing the doors for a lot of HIV resources, including mental health resources. People with HIV often suffer from depression and also mental health issues and substance abuse issues are strongly linked with HIV cases. Um, so if we are able to address mental health and substance abuse, then we will also be able to prevent HIV transmission. Um, but COVID-19 is putting a block on a lot of that. Um, and so that's something to really think about and something to really like, for us to consider it's bigger than you know just not being able to go to the movies or not being able to go to the club and stuff like that there are people who are missing out on essential services that they need to really improve their lives improve you know to manage their conditions and to also prevent some of the issues that we're trying to get out of COVID-19 is having an impact on all of this All right, so.
So I think that's all in my notes from that section, um, specifically talking about COVID-19 um, and HIV. Um, so, but that's something to really just think about um, in your work as a sex educator. Um, think about like how this is going, to, how what we're going through right now as a country is going to impact STIs and HIV. Um, and then also for those of us who have um, loved ones who are HIV positive, this is really the time to really check in with them um, because so many of their resources are being limited. Um, on top of any other uh, disparities that they may be facing, like just lack of access to healthcare, transportation, anything like that. Okay. All right. So the last thing that we will talk about is reducing stigma. Um, and there are so many ways to do this. And I want to hear from you all in the chat as well, like what you think about this um, and what you're doing already and, um, you know, how you can uh, participate in reducing stigma as well. Like I want to hear what y'all have to say about this. Um, so I'll start by saying um, to educate yourselves. Um, and this, when I say yourself, I'm talking to me as well. Um, those of us who work in this field and do this work every day, and those of us who, you know, are cosmetologists or don't do anything related to this type of work. It's so important that we all stay educated and that we know the facts um, because there's the misinformation really increases the stigma. And when we say stigma, we're talking about negative stereotypes, um, falsehoods that continue in our community, um, you know, bad jokes, things like that. So it's really just important that we educate ourselves. There's so much to learn. There's always so much to learn. I have been doing HIV prevention work um, since 2010, 2009, excuse me, and um there's still so much for me to learn. So educate yourselves, I would say, is the that's the, the number one that I would go to. Um, a comment in the chat, normalizing conversations surrounding sexual health. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, we need to talk about sex, y'all. We have to talk about it because we see how it's impacting our lives. We see how it's so interconnected with our you know our livelihood we need to have these conversations we have that's why I started this podcast um and while so many other people are doing this work we need to have these conversations in an open and candid way we need to have them with our children we need to have them with our parents our siblings like yes we need to talk about sex because this is the only way that we're actually going to be able to end the epidemic as we say that we want to. Thank you so much for that comment. Um, I'll also say that don't expect that people know. Really, don't expect that. Um, you know, I have met people who are 25, 26, 27 years old, and the most sex education that they have received is listening to the Birds, Bees, and Tees podcast. They went through middle school, high school, and college with receiving very little sex education. 
So don't assume that people know. Um, you know, oftentimes, and I, I find myself doing this, writing people off as ignorant, um, when really that's what they are. You know, they don't know the information. Um, and so really taking the time to educate people and meet them where they are um, so that we can work toward ending the epidemic. Um, definitely, you know, you all do your own research and continue to read up on U equals U and PrEP and other prevention methods that are um, surfacing um, because they're so important. Um, and the U equals U, I think, um, is the biggest one for me in reducing um, HIV stigma. Um, so if you're not working in this field um, specifically, I would say to think about one, uh, um, addressing the other um, disparities that your work focuses on that is interconnected with um, HIV um, and also with communities that are most greatly impacted by HIV. And then also just understanding so that you can have part, um, you can participate in conversations with other public health people or with other health educators about U equals U and PrEP. Um, it's really important. Um, that's a good way to reduce the stigma, just to be able to have a simple conversation about it. And we know that people in public health oftentimes jump from different uh, topics to topics. I've worked in mental health and um, substance abuse prevention as well. Um, and those things we've talked about directly related to um, this work and moving the needle on the HIV epidemic. Um, but the U equals U, if we can really get people to understand that coming in contact with a person who is living with HIV is not a death sentence for you or them, um, I think that that will really help with moving the needle on the stigma for sure. <clears throat> um, I will also say to reduce stigma, um, we need to all do more work to understand the unique issues that LGBTQ plus communities face. Um, we need to do the work to understand the issues that black communities face. And that is that includes black people. We don't know everything that all black people experience. We are not, you know, just in a vacuum where the black experience is the same for every black person. Um, so really understanding and doing the work to understand the experiences of other black people who are different from you um, and how that, you know, their experiences impact their risk for HIV. Um, it's really important to understand that. And then also getting a better understanding of intersectionality. I know I did like a chop job of explaining it. Um, so I would encourage you all to do your own work and do your own research on intersectionality. Like a quick Google search um, will really set a lot of people free in 2020, really. Um, and then lastly, I'll say understand the risk and know the facts. This is not lastly. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> I like to talk. Y'all know that. Um, but understanding the risk and knowing the facts. Um, we talked about lifetime risk according to race. Um, and we talked about like the actual risk, like what's considered a risky behavior for um, contracting STIs and contracting HIV specifically. Um, and knowing the facts around it, like we can't allow people to continue to spread misinformation. We can't allow that. We have to, um, you know, even when we're in like a joking, fun conversation, 
we have to be willing to like put our foots down and be like, hold on y'all now, that's not funny. Or, you know, let me say this because it's really important. It's going to save our own lives. Like me as a black woman, knowing that one in 48 black women will come in contact with, will contract HIV in their lifetime. I can't take that lightly. I can't, I can't. Like I, I know 48 women right now, you know, who I could call and invite to a party. So I can't do that in good faith. Um, yes, um, I, I mentioned this earlier. Advocate for yourself. Like when you go to the doctors, ask them, do they know about PrEP? Like the doctors will ask you all about your sex life, ask you about your sexual behaviors and your sexual activity, and then not mention PrEP to you. Um, you know, you need to ask them, like, have you heard about PrEP? Um, you know, what type of uh, clients or... Um, Patients, do you offer prep too? <clears throat> um, and yeah, you know, and for those of us who are doing this work, we need to not be afraid to educate providers. Educate the doctors. Yes, they have the um, the degree and all of the years of experience and all of that, but that does not mean that they know everything. And we are specialized in doing this work. So that is what we need to do. Okay, okay, okay. Um, let me just make sure I'm not missing anything from my notes. I made sure I took a lot of good notes for y'all. Um, one thing that I will say is that today is Giving Tuesday. Um, and Giving Tuesday and um, World AIDS Day falling on the same day um, is amazing this year um, because it gives us the opportunity to really connect with a lot of organizations that are already doing this work. Um, if you are in the D.C. area, um, I would encourage you all to um, get connected with Whitman Walker Healthcare um, and Real Talk D.C. Um, that is the organization that brought me up um, to be the sex educator that I am. And I will also encourage you all to connect with Heart to Hand. Um, that is an awesome organization um, that is doing a lot of this work in the D.C. and DMV areas. Um, <clears throat> And um, I repost a lot of their stuff on the Birds, Bees, and Teas page. So um, get connected with them. And they have a campaign called She Equals Change um, that can really um, be helpful for you all's learning. Um, if you're in the North Carolina area, get connected. There are a lot of, um, there's a lot of awesome work happening in North Carolina and um, Black-led work that's happening in North Carolina. Um, so... Not a black organization, but an organization that you all can connect with is the um, North Carolina AIDS Action Network. Um, and that's just to name one of many. Um, if you are in the Atlanta area, there are a plethora of organizations, um, especially organizations spearheaded by black people and Latinx people um, that you can give to, donate, connect with. Just fo a follow on Instagram goes a long way because it allows you to um, learn information from what they post and then you can also repost information and share because a lot of people need to know this information y'all like you know like on my personal Instagram you know people come there for the looks of course but I'm always going to spread information about you know things that are happening because they may not get it on the birds bees and teas page where i have you know close to three thousand followers on there where just a simple repost of something onto my story will reach 200 people um those are the little things that we can do to really move the needle on that okay 
And then um, the last thing that I'll say um, is that we really need to, and I'm like a, a huge person for this, like put youth in the forefront of the work that we are doing um, because young people are amazing. They are smart, they are knowledgeable, um, and they really wanna do this work. So if you have young people in your house, you work with young people in the classrooms, start these conversations with them and let them educate you. Okay, um, so that's all that I have for y'all today. Thank y'all for celebrating, honoring, and commemorating World's Eight, World AIDS Day with me, um, for participating in this, for engaging in the chat box. I really appreciate y'all not letting me get up here and talk to myself. Um, so thankful, I'm thankful and I'm grateful and happy World AIDS Day to you all. Reach out to a survivor today um, or just share some love or some compassion on your social media because you really don't know who is being impacted by the virus. Um, and so it's important that we just spread love and share love. Thanks, y'all. Love y'all so much. Thanks. All right, teasers. Thanks for tuning in to that episode. I hope that you all enjoyed it and that you learned something or take something with you to start a new conversation about sex and sexuality with a friend, a family member, or a partner. Please make sure that you all follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Birds, Bees, Tees. That's our handle at Birds, Bees, Tees on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And leave us a review. We appreciate your reviews. We appreciate your feedback. And we definitely take it into account to build more content and bring you more interesting, fun, and sexy topics on Birds, Bees, and Tees. So thank you all again. Like us, follow us, all that good stuff. Subscribe to us on the listening platform that you're using and tune in next week for an all new episode of birds bees and teas